Welcome to Preaching in Season, a series designed to help ministers in the work of interpreting the Bible and preaching the Word in the many seasons of the church's life. My name is Tim Sensing, Professor of Homiletics, Graduate School of Theology here at ACU. In this episode, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 1. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the series on preaching Galatians. Today's text is Galatians 1, 1 through 12. Galatians 1 is routinely found in year C of the Revised Common Lectionary, but not this year, 2022, because of the late date of Easter. The Revised Common Lectionary lists Galatians 1, 1 through 12 as the first text in year C, whether it's listed as Epiphany 9 or Proper 4 of Ordinary Time. Most sermons I've heard on this text begin with verse 6. However, I find verses 1 through 5 as the key passage for understanding Galatians theologically. It is in these first five verses that Paul lays the foundation for what he means by the words faith and gospel. These are keys to interpret the letter. You know, churches have context. Now that I have children living in the Metroplex, I realize how different Fort Worth is from Dallas. I don't know why I didn't pick up that earlier, but as I visit one child versus the other child, I really see that the restaurants and the grocery stores and and just the the people in general are, are really different. These are different places. Both are part of the Metroplex, but they differ widely. Churches have context. Albany, Texas is not Anson, Texas, and neither of those two are Clyde, Texas. They're all three West Texas towns, but they, they really do differ. There are some West Texas towns where I can visit and preach on a given Sunday, and I can talk about cattle. I can talk about my own experience with cattle. I can talk about digging fence posts and church. I can, I can talk about stretching barbed wire, and I can identify, and I can make connections. 50 miles away, I can't talk about cattle much. For them, it's cotton, and I don't have the experiences about cotton. I don't have those uh, historical times in my own life where I've, I've worked with cotton. It's harder for me to identify. Churches 50 miles apart, but have very different contexts. When I visit churches, I find that some are thriving, some are tired, some enjoy their common fellowship, some are bickering all the time. I went to a particular congregation in West Texas, and on that particular Sunday, there were 20 people who were going to leave and start a new church. How sad. This community going to now have, small community, that's now going to have two congregations of God's people. But as I later learned in terms of Churches of Christ, there were actually going to be five different expressions of the faith there. When you arrive in that kind of context, what do you preach? Churches have context. And the Galatian churches had a context. And while their faith began full of hope, Paul was fearful that some Jewish missionaries were messing with the very heart of the gospel. 
In Galatians 1 and 2, Paul describes how the meeting with the pillars of the church, the apostles, as well as his conflict with Peter and Antioch, gives rise to admonition to the Galatians about how non-Jews are to relate to the God of Israel. Jewish Christians equated dietary laws, Galatians 2, 11 through 14, circumcision, Galatians 5, 6, Galatians 6, 15, and Jewish holidays, Galatians 4, 9 through 10, as boundary markers for their identity. These three practices were identity markers that Jewish Christians embraced and said, these are the kinds of of symbols, these are the kinds of ways of being in community life that identify you as part of the people of God. And these practices were not wrong for Jewish Christians, but to impose them, to insist upon them for the Gentile Christians, Paul backed up and said no. It's kind of like having a multivitamin, merely a supplement, yet lacking the power to cure disease. You pack on a little bit more vitamin B and a little bit more vitamin D and a little bit more vitamin A and you take a multivitamin and it's all bundled together. It's almost like you're saying it's the gospel bundled with plus other stuff. It's like my internet provider wants to bundle home telephone service or it wants to bundle uh, my TV viewing. It wants to bundle three or four different services all together. You know, I might only want one service, but they want to bundle it with other things that I'm not necessarily wanting or needing. The gospel bundled together. It's the gospel plus something else. Paul has the, the, the objection Paul has is bundling the gospel of Jewish practices as essential for Gentile Christians. That, that, that's a problem. And it has social implications. In Galatians, as in Rome and in other places, those implications were ethnic. In Corinth, those implications were socioeconomic. Social implications can play themselves out in a variety of ways in how people relate to others who are not part of their group. How do you relate to being the people of God, especially when it comes to your interactions on a daily basis? Brad Braxton states in this way about Galatians, quote, the Gentiles could not enjoy the blessings of God's covenant unless they abandoned their ethnic identity and assumed another. If Gentile believers adopted another's ethnic identity, they would deny that God saved them as Gentiles, unquote. So what does Paul preach to churches like those found in Galatia? Well, he begins, Galatians 1, 1 through 5. He begins with a salutation and a greeting. And in this salutation and greeting, we have the gospel stated in a very concise and precise way. Let me, let me read the text, New Revised Standard Version. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Christ from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. The gospel is not of human construction. It's from God. And Paul will say that in these first four verses twice. Grace is embodied and made effective by the self-giving of Jesus on the cross. Jesus' death atones for our sins and releases us from the oppressive power of the present evil age. The giving of Jesus in accordance with the will of God and, and therefore we have grace and peace that comes from God. Therefore, the death of Jesus is an act of God. God is the Father three times. We're God's children and members of God's family rooted in God as our Father. God raised Jesus from the dead, and God has power over death and delivers us from the grip of death. And a message here is revealed to us by Jesus. You see, the message and the messenger and the origin of the message are bound tightly together. God's breaking into this new age in order to set us free. And then from that message, that concise and precise statement of the gospel, Paul's going to go forth from the rest of Galatians and says, that affects what you do. Your identity and your behavior are connected. And then in verse 5, we have something that doesn't occur anywhere else in any of Paul's letters. Galatians is known for saying that this is a letter that does not have a thanksgiving. Uh, Titus doesn't have a thanksgiving either. Uh, and we make a big deal of the fact that it doesn't have a thanksgiving. What Galatians has that no other letter has is a doxology at the beginning, in the salutation, in the greeting, in the intro. You have a doxology. It's as though Paul is saying, here is the gospel, brothers and sisters, what do we say to that? The only thing you can say is amen. And when he says that, you can think about him in the, in the pulpit of these churches and he's preaching these first four verses. The church responds with amen. Because, you see, the gospel is all about Jesus. A Jesus who came to earth, born a baby in a manger, who chose to associate with tax collectors and sinners and Samaritans and Syrophoenicians, the poorest of the poor, the outcast, and the folks who are unclean. Each story you read in Matthew and Mark and Luke, uh, each turn on the road, each city he entered, each conversation he had, Jesus was obedient to God. God was acting in Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus' faithfulness to die on a cross, faithfulness to the acts of God that saves you. If you want to ask Paul, why are you saved? How are you saved? Paul is going to answer clearly in the book of Galatians, not just here, but throughout. You're clearly saved because of what Jesus did on a cross. 
It begins there and it ends there. Paul summarizes the story of in Galatians 1 through 4, and he concludes then with this doxology. This is the gospel. He defines the gospel before he begins the rest of the letter. No matter what the context, no matter what's going on right now in church, no matter what the issues, you are saved because Jesus died on the cross. You are part of God's covenant family because of the faithfulness of Jesus. You are here in this church. You belong. Look around the room. Everyone belongs because Jesus died on a cross. And look around your neighborhood. You look around your community. You look around the county, the state, the nation, the world. No one will be excluded from the gospel because when Jesus died on the cross, he died for everyone. No one's excluded from the waters. No one is excluded from the table. And so before you get into any of the other kinds of issues that you find in Galatians, you have to know what the gospel is. Now, in my experience, people want to preach that second half of the lectionary text, Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Uh, when I preached this sermon, I titled the sermon, No Introductions Required. Uh, I, I was a guest speaker and I was saying that, yes, I need an introduction, but Paul doesn't need an introduction. Preaching that is called by God protects the integrity of the gospel was my focus statement. I wanted to accomplish a task in that sermon, to embolden the church to hold fast to the gospel. So as I'm preaching Galatians 1, 6 through 10, I'm wanting to say you've got to know what that gospel is. You've got to make sure that you're going to hold fast to that gospel, the integrity of that gospel. When the gospel is preached, no introductions are required. Therefore, you don't mess with the gospel. Why would anyone exchange their freedom the gospel provides for anything that endangers that freedom? And that's the reason why you don't mess with the gospel. The title, No Introductions Required. Well, maybe I do need an introduction, but Paul didn't. Paul says that the gospel itself doesn't require an introduction. When I think about don't mess with the gospel, I, I connected that with that uh, Texas Pride, that, that statement that won awards, uh, award-winning ad. It was uh, 30 years about not littering in Texas. Uh, don't mess with Texas. Well, you don't mess with the gospel. But Paul says that just as I sometimes am astonished when I see litter and I see trash on a highway as someone dumps out their mattress on the highway, uh, you know, someone throws out their McDonald's bag on a window, uh, you're not supposed to mess with Texas. Don't you know you'll get fined? I'm astonished when it happens. Paul says that he's astonished when people start to mess with this gospel. Paul was astonished how quickly that people started messing with the gospel. He was astonished about how quickly they were leaving it. 
Paul's astonished like a parent who sees a child quickly giving up uh, his or her training, like a bird set free from a cage only to return, like a prisoner who cannot adjust to the outside, seeking ways to be incarcerated again. Paul says, this is not good news. This is not good for anybody to treat the gospel this way. Why would anyone exchange the freedom of the gospel provides for anything that endangers that freedom? While yet we do not know all the details, what the Galatians have done, Paul accuses them of accepting another gospel, not the one contained in verses 1 through 4, but something different altogether. Something different than what they had experienced in Galatians 3, 1 through 5. He says, you've experienced something that was rich. You've experienced something that's beautiful. But you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by doing works of the law or believing what you heard? Uh, did, did, you, did you do it because the law somehow taught you the gospel or is it because the effectiveness of the very gospel message in verse 3 and that gets repeated in verse 5 you, 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 were, you were saved because of the effectiveness of this message that you heard in verses 1 through 4 of Galatians 1 because you heard the message that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified did you experience so much for nothing, he asked? If it really was for nothing, well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or because of the effectiveness of the gospel that was preached to you? Paul is a Jewish Christian. These missionaries are Jewish Christian. Both Paul and the teachers uh, that have come in from the outside, uh, they have followed and they share a common heritage and they share a common salvation. Yet Paul frames it as opposition between an apostle of Jesus Christ and somehow, somehow some kind of community disturbers or gospel distorters, these, these missionaries. Uh, you know, it's easy for us to make a, a list of what we think the other gospel is. We we think about anything that, that is different than what we believe, any doctrine that we don't think is kosher, we say that's the other gospel. Any false teaching that does not agree with the orthodox teaching that we hold dear, we have heard all of our life, uh, the way we have always been taught, what my mama believed, uh, this we sometimes label as the other gospel. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. We'll later learn in the letter that the other gospel is a message that confines other people in a box that says that these other folks cannot be part of the people of God because of, of something. Paul's very specific about what that other gospel is, a message that opposed to grace and especially opposed to freedom. It was any message that says that you need something more, something plus the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Some folks were using traditions of Judaism as a preamble or entrance requirement into the life of Christ. Jewish Christian missionaries had 
come subsequent to Paul planting the church there, and they began to supplement Paul's gospel. No, they, they, they weren't opposing Paul, only adding to what Paul taught. They were teaching you had to live like a Jew if you were to be considered part of God's people. When we think about all the things that they could have added, they were sometimes adding things like Jewish holidays. They were sometimes adding things like circumcision. Uh, they were adding things like dietary laws. All these things, Paul would say, that's an addition to the gospel. And what simply might look like something innocent from the outside, Paul felt was actually opposing the very gospel of God. So Paul says, don't mess with this gospel. A message that, that states that only this gospel places you among the people of God through the faith of Jesus. God has acted to set the world right and to rescue us from the slavery to human religious programs. The gospel, it's not of human construction. It comes from God, who has taken the initiative to rescue us. The gospel, it's rooted in what God has done in Jesus on the cross, the freely given love of God, the gospel that, that raised Jesus from the dead. The gospel that is rooted in the fact that God is our Father. It's the gospel that affects not only who we are, but then also then how we live. And this is a message that comes from Paul. From God through Jesus Christ. It has divine origins, not human origins. Therefore, the church is to hold fast to this gospel and not supplement it, not bundle it, not to add anything to it. Paul says don't mess with the gospel. Paul says hold fast to the faith of the one who gave himself up on our behalf, for he is the one who will set us free. Preaching in Season is a production of the Graduate School of Theology at Abilene Christian University in partnership with the Center for the Study of Ancient Religious Texts. If you're interested in learning more about us and what we do, visit us at acu.edu gst or email us at gst at acu.edu. Until next time. <laughs>